لكن فعلا هي تمثلنا ابدعت واجتهدت تراها ممثله في هوليوود يعني شيء نادر جدا جدا شكلها الوحش للاسف هذا شيء لا يدعو للفخر المفروض نستحي من هذا الخبر كنت اتمنى يكون الخبر اول طبيبه اول مخترعه اول مكتشفه هوليوود مكان ينتج انحطاط ويستقبل منحطين اين النجاح في هذا ما هي بسعوديه ولا تشرفنا these were reaction tweets from saudi arabia from my people when the news broke out that i would be the first saudi woman to star in an american horror film reading these tweets <laughs> But while reading these tweets, all I could think about was, how did I get here? I was born in Riyadh, the capital of Saudi Arabia, or as I like to call it, the Magic Kingdom. Founded in 1932 and named after its founder, Abdelaziz Al Saud, Saudi means of the tribe of Saud. My national identity is pegged to a tribe and not a land. I am a subject and not a citizen. And, as you may have noticed, I'm a woman. <laughs> When I was born, women were not allowed to drive, let alone study, work, or travel without the consent of their male guardian, be it their father, brother, husband, uncle, and in some cases, even their sons. Men and women were segregated in public, cinemas were forbidden, music was banned, and we even had religious police. Notice, though, that I've been using the past tense, because in 2017, magic struck the kingdom and the spell was lifted. Women were discovered and were allowed to drive. Segregation laws were relaxed. The ban on cinema and entertainment was lifted. The religious police lost their power. They even created a general authority for entertainment. I never thought I'd see the day, but it came. One royal decree, one swipe of the king's pen, and everything changed overnight. Some might call it magical, and I agree. Not governed by rational or logical law, and like magic, it can be miraculous or absolutely tragic. But as with all magic, it starts with an intention and comes with a price. In 1999, I was a freshman at Parsons School of Design in New York City. And on the first day of class, while the teacher was calling roll, she paused. Odd? Is there an odd camel here? <laughs> Present. The truth is, I am odd. I'm named after my sister, Ahd, who drowned and died in the pool 12 months before I was born. Both my parents died of cancer when I was a teenager. I'm an only girl between four brothers, and I also happen to be the tallest one among them. <laughs> Ahd, my name, means a pledge or an era. Kamil, my family name, means complete. So technically, I am a complete era. <laughs> I was a single Saudi girl studying animation in New York City. And today, I'm a divorced Saudi woman living in London as an actress and a filmmaker. 
If you ask most of my Saudi compatriots, they would agree I am indeed odd. Fast forward to my senior year, I'm about to graduate, and I was totally confused. I got my BA in animation, but I did not want to be an animator. And more importantly, I was not ready to go back to Saudi Arabia. It was too hard and painful. I had lost my parents. They sold the family home. And any time I contemplated the idea, the freedom tunnel just narrowed and choked me. So I did what any good Saudi girl would do. I applied to film school. <laughs> what started off as a ploy to buy more time in America and slightly piss off my family turned into a calling. I fell head over heels for filmmaking. I also fell for acting. And that happened when I met Aslihan Unalde, a Turkish director who was back then a student at NYU working on her first film, Rezan. Initially, I went in to translate the script, and I walked out playing the leading role. And guess what my role was? A suicide bomber. <laughs> Boom! I caught the acting bug. I also graduated from film school, and all three films I worked on, be it as a director, writer, or producer, found success in the festival circuit. And now I was faced with a new dilemma. I found my calling, but how can I make it into a living? I mean, after all, I am a Saudi woman, and cinemas are banned in my country. And how was I going to tell my family I wanted to be an actor? And to complicate things even more, I was in love with an American with a white boy. I could not go back to Saudi, get married and settle down. So I enrolled in acting school and I married my boyfriend. <laughs> By the fall of 2008, I had graduated from a two-year acting program at the Esper Studio in New York, and the financial crisis hit America. My marriage was hit too, and the reality was bleak. My relationship was falling apart. My dream was falling apart. Maybe I should just give up. And then my brother wrote a story and sent it to me. And that story inspired my first film. The Shoemaker, or Al-Qundarji, follows an Iraqi war prisoner returning home after a two-year prison detention. I wanted to make a film about the aftermath of war, about the psychological war. And I was lucky to have the support of my friends and family who helped me raise the money to make the film. And the icing on the cake was when Amr Waqid, the famous Egyptian actor, agreed to play the role for free. The film found immediate success in the festival circuit and won recognition and awards. And my faith in my choice was growing. I can make a film. And while my star was rising, Things back home were not so good. My ex and I decided to end our marriage. And after three long and very messy years, I was divorced and broke. But through my experience on The Shoemaker, the storyteller in me was born. And I had met Jerome Beltrac, who's a, an award-winning French producer, who was so impressed with my work, he told me if I wrote a film, he would produce it. So I made the hard decision to move back to Saudi to research and write my film. And I knew that I wanted my films to serve as witness to the plenty of untold stories of ordinary people. I really wanted them to open windows into unknown and mysterious worlds. And what's more mysterious than Saudi women? 
I found that most of the women I spoke to were suffering, either because of the men in their life or because of their absence. I'm one of them. I'm orphaned, divorced, and I was living alone. And yes, I have open-minded and supportive brothers, but it was really frustrating to rely on them for everything. So the question begged itself, what would a woman do without a man in her life? Having seen my mother in the aftermath of my father's death, the matter was personal. And that is how Hurma was born. Hurma is a term used to describe or address the sanctity of women. It's the equivalent to the sanctity of an orphan child. The house has its own sanctity. But I always said, what about the sanctity of life itself? The film opens with the death of our protagonist's husband. She's heavily pregnant and drowning in debt. She has to break so many social taboos to protect her unborn child. In the film, Arij challenges the status quo, and she challenged my own. I chose to shoot in a poor neighborhood, a neighborhood that I only heard about and I had never experienced before. I would shoot by day there, and I would drive across town back to my comfortable bed. These people were living nine to, the, nine to a room the size of my corridor. And I came from the side of town where fences and villas isolated us from the reality that existed just across our city. Did I have to choose? The film left me with more answers than questions, and it resonated around the world. I was met with an incredible reception at the Berlin Alley, and the film actually screened here in Malmo about three years ago. And now I was ready to make my first feature. My Driver and I is the story of Selma, a privileged Saudi girl, and her Nubian driver, Gamar. The story was born 12 years ago when I received the news that my childhood driver, Muhi, had passed away. Up to that moment, I really never reflected on the impact he had on my life, and in a way, I had taken him for granted. I was lucky to have my own driver who was there when I was born, accompanied me through my childhood, adolescence, and early adult years. In a way, he was my best friend. And this film was ultimately an homage to him. I raised the funds, assembled the cast and crew, cleared permits, and I was ready to make my dream a reality. And then, reality hit me in the face. On day 10 of shooting, while I was getting my makeup, I received a phone call. I was ordered by the ministry to shut down production. Apparently, there was a problem with the local servicing production company. After scrambling for seven days and replacing them, we started rolling again. We managed three days before we were ordered to shut down again, and this time permanently. My character and my intention came into question. I was interrogated by seven men who asked me if I had any intention to oppose the government. I told them, look at me, I'm 45 kilos, I can't oppose myself if I want to. <laughs> the questions continued for two hours, and one of my favorite was, you come from a well-respected family, why did you choose to act? The investigation took four weeks, and during that time, I was placed under house arrest until a verdict was reached. Those weeks felt like a lifetime. My mind thoughts at the speed of light. 
I was ravaged by a mental storm. How and why did I land here? What am I going to tell the people who supported me? I lost my film and their investment? What if I get convicted? What's going to happen to me? And if I'm cleared, where should I go? I lost five kilos and half my brain cells. Luckily, my name was cleared and I was free to go. In exchange, I had to abandon any hope of completing my film. I signed a, a consent to refrain from filming in Saudi or elsewhere without their pre-approved permission. And I left. Like a few lucky refugees, I landed in London. Their circumstances were far dire and worse than mine, and reminding myself of that helped me cope with the humbling depression that settled in. Looking back at my 30-plus years in life, I realized I was born out of death. I experienced the death of both my parents. I'm also divorced, which is a metaphoric death. My life was laced with plenty of metaphoric deaths. Even my films revolved around death. And my last film and dream was dead. On the flip side, I've had plenty of rebirths. I've been drenched in tragedy and equally in miraculous blessings, and this indeed has been an oddity in my life. I'm here, I have a roof on top of my head, food in my fridge, I'm alive and kicking, which means I'm strong, capable and resilient. And like many women, I have the superpower of endurance. I was also blessed with the gift of grace. Most of my life, however, was spent fighting, flying, or freezing, and not living. I had to be broken down in order to put my life back together. And the question was, can I trust the wisdom that broke me down to heal me? Can I be thankful for all the chances I've been afforded? Can I be thankful for all the amazing people who came into my life and helped me? Can I be grateful for the wisdom learned from accepting pain? Can I forgive myself and forgive others? And most importantly, can I open my heart and place it first? In moments like this, I always go to my favorite writer and poet, Rilke. He says, do not seek the answers which cannot be given you because you would not be able to live them. And the point is to live everything. I didn't have answers, but I knew one thing. I do not want to fight anymore. Not with Saudi, not for it, not with myself, not with anyone for that matter. I did not want to fight for my already God-given right to live. Rilke goes on. Perhaps you will then gradually, without noticing it, live along some distant day into the answer. Two years ago, I landed in London, single, homeless, and unemployed. And today, I call London home. I found love with my partner, Yusuf, who's actually the reason why I'm on this stage. I'm also featured on the pages of Harper's Bazaar and Vogue. And I landed a leading role in a BBC Netflix show called Collateral, playing a refugee <laughs> opposite Carrie Mulligan. 
The Murder Thriller was written by Sir David Hare and directed by S.J. Clarkson, the creme de la creme of British storytelling. And Being, the horror film I'm in, is currently in post-production. Which brings us back to the original question. How did I get here? Does it matter? Today, I like to think of myself as a tree. My roots and part of my identity is in Saudi. But I've branched out. My trunk grew in New York, my branches around the world, and today I bear the fruit of being on the top of the canopy. After all, London is the land of Shakespeare, the greatest storyteller, and it's also a place where I can reach the world. My journey has been magical, but as with all magic, it starts with an intention and comes with a price. The intention was to be odd. The price was death. The magic is in the rebirth. In being odd, I served Ahd. In living the questions, I found myself living the answers. So I urge you to live the questions. Love the hard questions, because maybe, just maybe one day, you might find yourself living the answer. Thank you. Thank you.